Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. It seems that a day doesn't pass that we don't see ads asking for donations to groups that help our veterans. The ads are very heart-wrenching. Several weeks ago, I heard Mary Jean Houlihan speak of her work with veterans. It was a message that definitely needs to be brought to our project. Officially, she is an oncology nurse navigator in Delray Beach, Florida, but obviously she works with veterans as well. Ms. Houlihan, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's important to get a little bit of background. You said that you were a Marine, a U.S. Marine. What did you do in the Marine Corps, and how did that evolve into your present work? When I was in the Marine Corps, I was a young captain who learned everything I knew from my enlisted people, and that's where I became so devoted to the people who have the message that trains us. I was an executive officer for a women Marine company. I ran the office of the Undersecretary of the Navy, and I was a fiscal officer. I think the leadership component of the Marine Corps, where everyone is given responsibility in small groups early on and then locked to responsibility so that everyone down the line can pick up the work that needs to be done, is the important factor of that. And the most important factor is the trust quotient, that we can trust each other, that we can trust what we need to do for each other and how we're going to do it. And there's a stipulated way so that everyone gets the word, hopefully. But the leadership, the uncommon courage, the commitment, and the honor is the basis of what we did. I see the element of trust come when I speak to some of the Marines who are suffering from various disorders, most commonly post-traumatic stress disorder. And there is this sense of a community, of a family, of a group that's so powerful. And for those of us who have not been in military, I think it's an interesting thing to observe. Very powerful, very necessary. Yes, and we see it in medicine quite a bit. Many, many of our physicians and our ancillary staff are in the service. And when they find out that another person they're working with is, there's a light that goes on and everybody has that, I've got your back feeling. And especially with our patients as well, because patients will respond to you. Even if you're a physician who's not a veteran, if you elucidate that you understand what's important to them and that they can trust each and everything you say, and they may not get all the information right away, they may not understand it all the way, but if they know you are there, then they're going to be able to work with you. Is is there a good sense? Is there a, an average of what we believe is the number or the percentage of veterans who need your medical and psychiatric services? Every veteran who comes into our hospital needs a special kind of support. In terms of psychiatric services, I'm going to say at least 25%, if not more. And where you may be finding some of that is not always the combat-related wounds or injuries or the brain injury that sometimes we see connected to the PTSD and so on with our, our soldiers and, and Marines and sailors and so on who are coming back from the wars now, but from men and women who have kept so much of this to themselves for years. And we have women who go back all the way to World War II who have never spoken of their experience in prisoner of war camps in the Asian countries. We have women who have never spoken of military sexual trauma and men as well. And that didn't just have to be one military person upon another. It can be in the environment. People who have never spoken of what they have seen happen to other people. And they become depressed. And if you have a patient who's exhibiting some of these symptoms, always ask your patient, did you have, man and woman, any service experience? 
Did you keep that to yourself? Is there something that you want to share with me about how that affected you? Or had you even thought about it? Because we're throwing medications at people because sometimes they're demanding it or running around trying to find ways to fix it when we don't even have the heat of what started it. It's such a critical point. I've added a line to my intake sheet, and it says, have you ever had any military experience? Have you ever been exposed to any trauma, toxins, etc., while in the military? I've had, shall we say, more than one person say to me, why did you ask that question? And I said, because it's part of your background. And it, yeah. what you're saying dovetails exactly to adding this simple little question. The, the larger question I have to ask, and for, I think a lot of people join me in this question, isn't the VA supposed to be doing all of this? It's an interesting question, and what I always say to people is, we are you. We are in the community, and the VA does an amazing job of helping our veterans. We have veteran centers where men and women can go for counseling. We have what we call community-based outpatient clinics where people can go, and the main VA hospital has quite a number of psychiatric social workers, physicians, and so on that can help patients. But we in the military are you in the community. And when they come to our hospital, we need to address the whole patient as they present themselves to us for those two or three days that they're here. So we need to say, and I always say to everyone who walks in the door, and it's not a policy here, but it's my policy. Have you ever been a veteran? Are you married to a veteran? Because they can have a sort of a secondary PTSD from what goes on in their home. And if they share that with me. I ask them if they've been to the VA, if they have their benefits, if they've talked to anyone, if they've ever had a problem, and then I can hook them up with people at the VA. That's where I start. The VA will help, but it's up to us to identify them when they come to us in the community. You and I are both old enough to remember the Vietnam War. A lot of people going over there, a lot of people coming back, a lot of problems with the military guys and ladies who came back with their troubles. How much has it changed since then in terms of acknowledging what they did? Was it different than other wars? Is it a social problem? Why are we having such difficulty in getting good services to our veterans? Much of it is a lack of trust. Many of the Vietnam veterans are still living on the street because they don't want to be they don't trust the system, some of them, not all of them, because the services when they came back were not what they are now and they're not going to go down that road one more time. So they're going to fix it. They're going to have their own little groups and so on. I am sorry to tell you that in many, many, many cases, for those of us, myself included, who served during the Vietnam era, things have not changed in the way the public sees us. For World War II veterans like my father who was killed in Normandy, that was, quote, the good war. That was the greatest generation because the whole country sacrificed. I was in college during the beginning of Vietnam and then went into the Marine Corps during the middle of it. And the whole tenor was to go into this war was bad. The war is bad. People who serve is bad. I'm afraid to tell you that hasn't changed. With newer young folks that are coming back, they're seen in a different way. People seem to be more enlightened. I think there's still some of that going on. But for those of us who served during Vietnam, I still get remarks from people about how bad that was or why did you do that? Why would you go there? So people still keep that mindset that they had. And the best thing that ever happened to me as I was in a store one day recently and a man identified himself to me as a Vietnam veteran and myself to him. And he looked at me, he shook my hand and said, welcome home. That had never been said to me in 40 years. And I did not serve overseas. I volunteered to, but my husband was going, so they didn't take me. Still, to me, that was very important. You mentioned at the meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I really would love to hear the story again because it was so touching, of a patient that you were dealing with, and you brought him, I believe, a cupcake. Am I remembering the story correctly? Yeah. 
Yes. Please share that with us because I think it captures so much of what we're talking about. On Veterans Day here at Delray Medical Center, our administration had a little event for us. They took our picture. We had a nice breakfast in the morning in the afternoon. They had another little event, and they made cupcakes with red, white, and blue frosting on them, and they put little paper flags on them and gave them to us to enjoy. And we've been eating all day, so I brought my cupcake up to our floor. There was a patient there, a female patient, whose husband had shared with me that he had been in the Air Force many years ago, quite an elderly man. And I brought it to him, and I said, this is for you to honor you on Veterans Day from our hospital to you. He looked around the room as if he had lost something, as if he was looking through a mirror. He wasn't even focusing. And then he turned around and looked at me, and the tears came down from his eyes, and he said, your hospital did this for me. I didn't even think people cared anymore. And many of the older veterans feel that way. Oh, it was so long ago. Do people really care? We need to care because it affects them physically as well as mentally in every other way. So what do you do? You meet these people, you hear their problems, you assess them, but it sounds like you only have a few days because the primary focus is their medical problems. That's why they're in the hospital. The nice thing about navigation, let's say you're going on a cruise. And you say, I want to go to the Bahamas. And the captain says, okay, we're going to the Bahamas. Tells me, the navigator, guide my ship to the Bahamas. I don't say to the people that are buying the cruise rooms, well, we're going to Alaska instead. I take them where they want to go, where I've been directed to take them in a safe way to keep them off the shoals, to educate them as to the sites they're going to see, to keep them informed as to what's going on. So the navigator, in the medical sense, from the nursing perspective, is to guide, educate, support the physician and the patient patient to be sort of the hub person that everyone can go to, get information and support, and who refers this patient to everyone else who's ancillary in the hospital. So it's the physician-patient relationship that's the most important, and then supporting that underneath is the navigator who keeps the whole package together. And I follow the patient out into the community. So I will go into a physician's office with a patient, they or their first time for chemo. I go to their burials. I go sometimes to just to see them, to follow up with them if they're disabled. So it never ends. It ends when the patient says it ends. So you're, in every sense of the word, the combination of the nurse, the advocate, the social worker, the colleague, the cheerleader, all those sorts of things combined together. All of the above. And the one thing is the trust issue because many patients who have at any age, I had one that was 26 years old yesterday and I had a 90-year-old who elect hospice are anxious about that, don't understand that it is about your living, not about your dying. And they will say to me, should I do this? Why would we do this? So the family's worried about it. Explain to me what your experience has been with it. Tell me what your concerns are about death and dying and so on. And if they trust me, then they will let me help them see the road they need to take. I never push them down the road, but if they trust me, they will believe and they will automatically do the thing they know to do that's right. They've done a wonderful job raising their families and running their businesses all their lives. Just because I come in at this point doesn't mean I'm running their show, but I'm their sounding board that will always be a trusted person to them. So let's get back to the notion for a moment because I think it's critical. Do hospitals on their intake sheets, do medical professionals, do the whole cadre of people dealing, focus enough on the gestalt, the history of a person's military background. And maybe this is part of the problem that if we don't ask about it, it's not given legitimacy. It's maybe a topic that nobody wants to talk about because it's so complex, maybe even expensive. I envision you walking into a room and say hi and explaining your role to the patient and the family. And all of a sudden you're asking questions. 
Why do you think, you're in the middle of it all, why do you think there isn't a greater focus on this aspect of the background? Part of it is that hospitals are often task-oriented. They're going to come in, they're going to assess, they need to know the medications, they need to know the orders, they need to know what's wrong with someone. You're in here nowadays because you're acute. It's not like years ago where people will come in the day before surgery and so on. So time is of the yes. That's not to say we don't care about what's going on psychosocially with our patients, but certain things have to be addressed. Second thing is many, many people have never served in the military. It never occurred to them that there would be any connection any more than they would say, well, gee, the guy was a truck driver. What's this got to do with disc protrusion in his back, everything to do with it. But they don't seem to get it. They've never been in the situation. And generally how I broach it, the hospitals don't have it on their intake sheets. And I would say just as a, for the trust issue, when that question might ever go on a chart or in a physician's office or hospital, the question might be phrased this way, to those who may have been honored veterans, when did you serve or did you serve? If you say honored veterans, they're not going to be suspicious. Why do you want to know? What's this about? Does the government want to know more about me? So if you say, we acknowledge our honored veterans, have you ever served? Then they know, okay, they get me and they're going to be more open. Hospitals don't ask because they don't know the great amount of information that would shorten a hospital stay, that would lend credence to some of the symptoms the patient's having that would help them psychosocially to deal with the news the doctor has to give. How did this person cope? Has their amygdala been hijacked and their rational brain been hijacked by the brain that says, watch out, watch out? So if you get to know them, then you know how to present things to them and they'll work with you and then physician can accomplish his or her goal with that patient. I applaud the VA for several years ago, initiating the notion, the the concept, the requirement of what is now known as the fifth vital sign, namely asking about pain. I've for a long time thought, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about it, that it's time for the VA to do a sixth vital sign, which is namely a sensitive look at the gestalt of a person's life outside of the presenting medical problem. This is exactly what you're talking about. Yes, the VA does a good job of that because they know that's the reason that many people go there. They don't go and say, gee, doctor, I'm coming here because I'm not sleeping well at night. They're going there because their wife is bringing them there saying, my husband wakes up in the middle of the night, he's banging on the bed and he's yelling, get down, get down, get down, and then screaming a guttural scream. And this happens two or three times a week. And he's not getting any sleep and I'm not. And that's how the story starts. And now we find out other things that are going on. Maybe he has sleep apnea. Maybe his diet is poor. But many of these things are the reason people go and they don't even identify them as the reason. Maybe they come in with bad skin irritation and now we find out they've been exposed to toxins. So the VA does look for that. And pain, as you know, in your specialty, is multifactorial. There's spiritual pain, mental pain, emotional pain, as well as plain physical pain that we're accustomed to talking about. I've been a hospice nurse for years as well. Pain is not my friend when it comes to my patients. And in palliative care, as well as in hospice care itself, we need to address that up front because they may or may not want to take the medications, may want to be strong and tell you, I don't need it. You'll get a veteran to come in and say, I'm fine. I'm good, everything's fine, because it's too painful to go back there. And if they know you're interested, they will open up. I know that veterans in other countries, to various degrees, go through similar things. I mean, war is war, battle is battle, but we can't speak to services throughout the world, but we can look a little bit more in the United States. Where would a veteran or his family, his child, his wife, go to begin the services? It sounds like if they're lucky enough to have a disease and go into the hospital and they're lucky enough to have you walk in, then it worked. 
But where do they go otherwise? Very simply here, and I'll just start here with our local VA. Next to the VA hospital on the west side of the hospital, which is Building 10. It's a low flat building, and in there are several offices staffed by veterans of various veterans organizations, and anyone can go in there to begin the eligibility process. You can also call the VA. There's an 877-222-8387 number that someone can call to apply for VA health care. You can go on online and complete a VA form 10-10EZ. They can go online at the VA Medical Center. There's an entire cadre of information plus the entire book of your VA benefits is online and it's up to date as far as 2015. They can also go face-to-face at Brown Palm Beach County and in many other counties. There is a veteran service officer who works for them and say, I think I need some help. How can I get my benefits? And they should do that. They should. And if they're in crisis, they can just call the VA crisis line. They don't have to be enrolled right now. And if they have military sexual trauma and have never been overseas, if you're a woman, or if you're a man who's been overseas and just needs to talk to someone, they can walk into any vet center and ask to see a counselor. And if it's an emergency, they'll see them right there. We cannot forget that even if politically we may or may not agree with the war, they deserve our thanks. And, you know, they would do it again. We keep our uniforms in our closets. We keep them in locker boxes. We know we'll probably never wear them physically again until we die, but we know that we wear them in our hearts. My stepdad was a French soldier who was a prisoner of war in Stalag 9 in Berlin for five years. It affected him profoundly. And when I was a little girl, I didn't understand it all, but I certainly understand it now. I don't care where you come from or what you went through. It does affect you. And he never had help. And I think it hurt him deeply all of his life. I encourage you never to stop. And what can I do but just say thank you, thank you. Mary Jean Houlihan is, though technically speaking, an oncology nurse navigator in Delray Beach Hospital. She has a real connection with the veterans as a nurse, what a nurse should do, and that's her help her patient. May I add one more thing? Hire a veteran for your practice or facility. The work ethic won't quit. The loyalty will be dynamic. The problem solving is amazing and hearing commitment to your patients will be outstanding. If you want someone to add to your practice or your facility, that's where you need to look. Noted, and it'll be part of this, and I thank you. Hope we can get back together and do more.